Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. We're broadcasting almost live at the Atlas Network meeting in New York City. And I'm talking to my friend who grew up under Mao's China. We're going to hear some horror stories. We're going to talk about Hong Kong. And we're going to talk about why kids should step off the ledge when it comes to socialism. Check it out. So Lee, hi. Hi. How are you? Good. You just got back from uh, Vienna, Austria, and you've been globetrotting all over the place. Um, wh what were you up to? In, well, I guess Prague is where you were last. What was going on in Prague? There was a, a Hackers Congress. They are sixth annual uh, convention to talk about opt, opt out. So I went there to give a uh, talk on um, my personal uh, story, my experience uh, growing up and living in China for 26 years. And uh, if we don't opt out, we might lose, we will, not might, we will lose our lives. So hackers um, in well, all over the world are sort of uh, romantic and optimistic about cryptocurrencies and crypto everything right. as a way to opt out around around government controls and and all of that and I, I happen to agree with that we had Patrick Byrne on this show just just a little bit ago and he was talking about blockchain solutions to everything from voting mm -hmm. to stock markets to to privacy and all of this stuff and and I, I think there's something to it. I think I think there's an opportunity to to do things um, without the government controlling our behavior, and that that of course is is everything that you believe in. Yes. And uh, one interesting thing I don't know how to put it. It was um, at the uh, con convention, the Hackers uh, Congress uh, conference. Almost everybody was in black, and uh, I thought it's the uniform. Yeah, yeah. you have to. How easy people want to belong to some kind of identity or group. Uh, uh, con uh, consciously or subconsciously, and that's kind of dangerous because uh, the communists use that people's uh, way of thinking to to bring people into some kind of uh, uh, uniform, uniformity. Group think. Yeah, group yeah. think. Yeah. And uh, so they, they were very good at that, getting people to think as one, behave as one, and, and uh, and doing things in unison. It's kind of it's kind of ironic that libertarians also uh, fall into sort of tribal behavior, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Yeah, but I, I've run into that, and, and of course the the favorite tribal behavior of libertarians is to sort of prove that you're more libertarian than the next guy. <laughs> but but I, I want to talk about you, you mentioned this, and and I want to get into 
your experience with communism under Mao in China. We've talked about this before, but I think a lot of my listeners haven't heard this story yet, and, and why it matters to what's going on in, in, in the communist government in Beijing today, and, and why their reaction to the Hong Kong protesters is so hysterical. Uh, but I want to start with, with a um, poll that I saw just the other day. And there's, there's an American foundation called the Victims of Communism Foundation. And they do this poll every year. And every year the numbers get a little bit worse, measuring essentially what young people think about, about socialism versus capitalism. And, and, you know, some of it, I think, is designed to shock people and ask questions a certain way. Because I, I'm not sure young people even know the, the context of some of the words that are being used here. But... That said, only 57% of millennials believe the Declaration of Independence better guarantees freedom and equality over the Communist Manifesto. What? Can you believe that? What? Only 57%? Yes. Oh my goodness. And, and I, I worry about this. I mean, we spent oh, all of yes. our time trying to, to make sure that young people even like, do you know what the Communist Manifesto is? Do you know what the Declaration of Independence says? And I suspect the answer is, is usually maybe not, because our education system doesn't necessarily teach those, those core values in school anymore. But you know what the Communist Manifesto means in practice. You've lived through it. Yes. And, and tell, tell everybody a little bit of your history. You were born in China. What year? 1958. 1958. That's the year of uh, uh, Great Leap Forward. Yes. And, and what was the Great Leap Forward? The Great Leap Forward was the, uh, a stupid idea uh, by Mao Zedong. And he thought China can become world economic power and whatever power uh, just simply by producing more iron than United States and Great Britain. So uh, he believed China, in three to five years, China can surpass United States and Great Britain in the production of iron. And in order to do that, he made the whole country stop everything else and produce iron. All the trees were, were cut down to, to burn furnitures, wood things, all, most of them were burned to be uh, as a fuel to uh, produce iron. Everybody, regardless <laughs> you know how to do, what to do or not, even kids. And most people didn't know how to produce iron. They simply just used the furniture to melt down their pots and pans. And then presented to the government, we have five kilo of iron produced. And uh, <laughs> it's laughable, but that time, either by force or by really naive believing the government, everybody was involved. And um, so most things were destroyed and uh, things need to be produced were not produced. And uh, immediately following that was a famine of three years. 
because one of the one of the main things that happened is that peasant farmers who were producing the food that that kept people fed were forced to suddenly become steel producers and they had no they had no they couldn't have known how to do that yes and also because uh, that time it just uh, after they nationalized everything so farmers no longer own the land uh, they have been uh, tilting for uh, generations and then also they are they were no longer allowed to make decisions on what to plan and how to plan so everything have to be uh, uh, everything was decided by the central government and the central government had no idea about farming or specific area farming but telling the farmers how to plan what to plan of course nothing really came out of the uh, uh, that kind of uh, uh, planned economy. Also, some people, uh, some farmers, tried to please the government and uh, fabricated some kind of uh, harvest and told the government, we can produce this much uh, grain per acre. And uh, central government used that as the standard for the whole country. And they, but they were made up numbers. They, they made up, um, not just made up numbers, they used all the seeds and all the fertilizer in one piece of land, and they sent people go inside to use the fan to vandalize, uh, uh, ventilation the, because they were too thick. They couldn't grow, and they used all kind of measure, and then they invite Mao to visit them. They put the little kids on top of the, the, the stalks of uh, wheat. See how thick, how strong, even the kids can lay on this. And Mao was so happy. Wow, per acre you can produce this much? Okay, great. The whole country has used this number. And they show the pictures and the other peasants, farmers were laughing. But nobody dared to say anything because if you laugh, you, you, you tell them that's not true, you're, you're dead. So all things add together. The peasants became the poorest people in the country, starving. The peasants, they were starving because uh, all the harvest was taken away. And Mao wasn't starving because he took all the food. Yes, the the elites were fine, mm -hmm. um, but mass starvation amongst amongst poor farmers. Um, Stalin supposedly said that you know one person dead from starvation is a tragedy. A million starved people are a statistic, and and you know Mao has said similarly evil things, but you know in total Mao killed forty five million people, most. Yes from starvation and, and the Great Leap Forward. And I think, yes. I think people have a hard time even conceiving of a number that massive. It's impossible to believe even. Yes, and China at that time is not as uh, numerous as today, 1.4 billion, but yes, a lot of people. Every family you ask has some members of the family dead either by torture, 
by starvation, by um, imprisoning, and by hard labor, every family. So um, I want to I want to get back to your personal story, but you know, one of the you know we're we're free market libertarians. We both like Austrian economics, and of course, Frederick Hayek's uh, critique of socialist planning was that no single person could know enough to organize a complex economy. And Mao's experiment in the Great Leap Forward, transitioning a, a rural farming society to an industrial powerhouse, um, is, is sort of a, a, a caricature. It's an extreme example of how one person doesn't know but, but it, it applies to everything. And this is, this is one of the things we struggle to explain to people that want to try socialism is that there's, there's no way for anybody to know enough to tell us how to live our lives, essentially. And you would think that would be a more persuasive argument, but I, I don't know. Well, they, they, they didn't put it that way. They put it in a way that, uh, I know better than you. So if you listen to me, and follow my instruction, you, 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 have, you will have a worry-free life, and you don't need to work hard, you don't need to think, you will just uh, be happy all the time, and you're so happy, you don't want to just sit there, so you may want to do some work, but it's not going to be hard, and you don't need to worry about uh, how much you produce, because we're going to feed you. You will have uh, unlimited supply of food and everything you need, we will give it to you. So a lot of people thought, wow, that's great. I don't want to work hard. I don't want to budget my income, my food. I, I love that. And uh, you take care of me. And so a lot of people followed and believed because uh, they didn't uh, trust themselves of making decisions. And uh, they thought, oh, the government is so powerful, so strong, they're so intelligent. They know better than me how to live my life. So they, they gave up. But after they gave up, they realized yeah. it was wrong, but they couldn't get it back anymore. It was too late. Too late. Yeah. Some, some of those promises resonate with young people today, um, which is why you tell your story. And let's, let's get into that. Your family was a so-called black family. And explain the difference between black families and red families. Yes. Um, the Chinese government divided people into two categories, red and black. I'm not sure about the red because uh, I was born into a black family. The, at the beginning, there have five blacks. Number one, uh, property owners. Number two, rich people. Today, I realize what rich people mean. It means you can feed yourself. Uh, number three, counter-revolutionaries. Say no to communism or doesn't agree with communism. Number four, was the funniest, is the black, uh, bad people. We said... Who are the bad people? Oh, who, who, anybody we don't like is bad people. 
And then number five is uh, right wing. Right wing at that time is anybody gives suggestions to the Communist Party, say you should do things differently in order to help the country or criticize them, that those are right wing. So these are uh, five categories for black. Later on, they in expanded to nine categories, educated people, uh, people spoke uh, foreign languages, who has uh, relatives outside of China. And these are not just one generation or you, it's eight generations. For me, I was born into black family. I did not do any, I didn't belong to any categories, but my ancestors, some of my ancestors belong to one or multiple categories. That's why our, we never had chance to change. It's just black. What, why was your family deemed black? Uh, I think four generations before me, they were highly educated. Uh, many of them went abroad to study Japan, England, United States, and uh, many of them are pioneers of capitalists in China during um, the turn of uh, uh, 20th century. They were bankers, uh, industrialists, entrepreneurs. Uh, so collectively, they were trying to, actually they were the uh, shakers and movers of uh, modern China. And they contribute so much. And um, so they all, the kind of people the communists didn't like. Yeah. So uh, of course these families, they married to each other. So our families from all <laughs> directions all black. So you, you really didn't stand a chance because no. you, you, had, you had all of the, the wrong characteristics in your family. Right. And uh, when I was in uh, first grade elementary school, we, I remember I was not allowed to participate at any um, extracurricular activities. I couldn't learn dance. I couldn't learn sing. I couldn't learn music instrument. I couldn't play sports. Just basically, besides going to school, I, would, I was not allowed to do anything. And even going to school were um, segregated. Even the seating and the things we could say, uh, running for student, president, uh, something, nothing. So you were, this, this makes perhaps light of it, but you were a second-class citizen. Oh, yeah. You were separate mm -hmm. and, and treated differently. We have to sit in the different part of the train. Yeah, yeah. What, um, tell, me, tell me some of these, we've, we've talked about these stories before, but getting back to sort of centralized communist farming, you were, is, is enslaved too strong of a word? Because you were put to work as a small girl. Mm-hmm in some of these ridiculous experiments in agriculture reform? Actually, I used the word exile because uh, I was born in a city. My parents are educated. 
medical doctor and university professors. But in 1969, the government relocated us to a remote village. I remember it took us a week to get there, train, boat, truck, and uh, basically um, kind of like tractor haul us to this village. The language was totally different. We couldn't understand people were speaking. They were Cantonese. We were in the uh, Mandarin-speaking cities before. And then uh, there's no electricity. Uh, if you think about from the history perspective, maybe in the United States 500 years ago it was like that. Uh, no running water, no toilet. There's no place to live. Uh, we were just dropped over there as punishment. And they call re-education. Uh, so we suddenly end up there. We have to make a living. So we found this uh, 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 Buddhist temple was uh, vandalized, uh, broke down. And we used some crates, uh, boxes, to divide it into rooms. And the floor was just mud. And that's our home. We have a board. And uh, <laughs> my family are so westernized. They say, we can't just sleep on the board. So we found some haze and put on the board <laughs> to make it softer. <laughs> and um, uh, oil lantern. I was 11 years old. My brother was nine. We learned to find a river to carry water home. We have a big uh, jar, and the water was so muddy. We learned to put lime in the water to make the, the mud sink to the bottom so the surface water will be clean enough, clear enough to drink. We go to the mountain to find trees to cut. Actually, it's not our trees, it's nobody's trees. So everybody did that. So we did that, went to the mountains and find first branches, later just trees to cut and bring home to burn as the fuel or to cook and to, to heat. And um, it just uh, suddenly from a civilized society and uh, being dropped into a 500 year difference, uh, uncivilized world. Yeah. And um, because Mao believed you, the education you received are evil. So you have to receive education from the peasants, from the poorest people, from the working people. So many, many people were punished that way. We're not the only family. And a lot of the family was taken apart because they were sent the wife this way, husband that way, the children in the, another way, uh, another place in, in the country. So our family said, no matter what, we're going to live together and die together. So we kind of volunteered to say, send us to, to the, the poorest place as long as we, our family can be together. So that's how we did. We were there for nine years. So suddenly there's um, no schools. We have to work. School is just work. Little kids have to work. 
and uh, the poor, my poor mother, English professor. <laughs> There's no schools, and uh, she has nothing to do. And my father was a medical doctor, a surgeon, and he needed help to do surgery because a doctor everybody need. So my mom just without any training became a partner with my dad doing surgery and um, treat patients, just like that. And um, we were watched by the peasants because they got a job to watch us, monitor us, to see if we, we say anything bad, we behave any uh, way bad. And uh, of course, we don't dare to eat things. We don't dare to cook things differently because my family, when I was growing up in the cities, we make potato, the same potato, we make potato salad instead of just boiled potato dip in salt. So we don't dare to eat it that way anymore because that's, it's different. Not, that's not communism. That's bourgeoisie. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we... We don't dare to say anything or complain. We have to pretend to be very, very happy there. Yeah. Was so. Um, you know, Mao's great leap forward um, happened. Was it 1958, 1959? No, 57, 58, 59. Yeah. And that was a colossal failure. Oh yes. And both. It, I mean, it failed to industrialize the country. Um, and so many people starved, um, and there and Mao was getting pushback within the the Communist Party. So, and correct me on my history, he immediately launched the Cultural Revolution. Was your was your reeducation part of the Cultural Revolution? Yes, actually, um, nineteen sixty five, right after the famine. Yeah, and they just. Uh, like what Lenin did, temporarily, they tell uh, they told the farmers, now you can just uh, get uh, use that piece of land as yourselves, and uh, you don't have the ownership, but you you can uh, have the ownership uh, mentality to treat the land and plant. So immediately that year, nineteen sixty five. Everything became very good. There's uh, almost enough food. Production picked up again. Yes. And, and, uh, and farmers that knew how to farm were allowed to do that, yes. at least temporarily. And they get to keep the, the their... Uh, Importantly, yeah. They yeah, get to that's, keep the food they produce. That's the most important. So yeah. they have motivation. Yeah. And the city allowed fashion, that time, fashion. They allowed music. Uh, especially Shanghai used to be very westernized, and the people are happy. They have uh, restaurants to go to. They can have uh, dance parties because my parents, my grandparents, they were very um, active. They have parties, dance, and music, and going out to eat and drink. What's everybody was very happy, and right after that, only one year. No, we didn't succeed with controlling these economic sectors. We, I need to control people's mind. He wants to use his own thinking 
to unify the entire population's way of thinking, when thinking. So that's his uh, uh, reason for starting the Cultural Revolution. Yeah, and that's where this sort of cultural authoritarianism, um, the the idea like he wasn't just an economic planner anymore. He no. was he was God. Yes. And and he decided that everyone, how everyone would be the same. Yes, you have to think exactly the same way. That's the uh, horrifying factor today is Xi Jinping is doing exactly the same thing. He wants everybody to think the way he thinks. Now want, he, can, he, he make, trying to make everybody think the way he thinks. And uh, he doesn't really uh, brave enough to say my way of thinking. He bring back Mao. Yeah. It, and I think a lot of people are confused about that because there's, there's clearly, maybe like 1965, there is a modicum of, of freedom when it comes to production, economic production. And in some ways, China is a very productive economy. But that, that, that need, that, that authoritarian need to control the minds of the people and to control their behavior and to subjugate them, that's never gone away. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Very interesting uh, story. 1965, I mentioned uh, fashion was allowed. And that time, <laughs> uh, for some reason, uh, people like very tight uh, pants. So 66, Cultural Revolution started. So you see the uh, right guards holding a, a beer bottle, or usually it's not for beer, for soy sauce or, or vinegar on the street, and they catch people with uh, those fashionable clothing. They will put, put the bottle in your uh, pants. If it's too small, the bottle doesn't fit, that's bad, so uh, the pants get cut off. Wow. And <laughs> so you see those red guards with yeah. the bottle on the street because everybody have to dress the Literally, right. literally fashion police. Right. Yeah. Uh, hair, they cut your hair if your hair is too long. Uh, they cut your clothes if the clothes is too fashionable. And uh, they go to your house and see what you eat. And they will take your food away if you're not, you're, you have beautiful food. There's something, there's something about communism because... One of the stories that's, that isn't told that much, like going after fashion and mm -hmm. prohibiting music right. and, and, and targeting artists and poets because they're free thinkers. And I think, I, think, uh, I think young socialists today in America don't associate any of that sort of authoritarianism with, with what they hope is this you know, new democratic socialism. But the first thing you do is, is stop the free-thinking, free-spirited behavior because it's all, about, it's all about controlling the minds of the people more than it is about controlling the economy. Right. That's the, the most core value of communism. Just like you said, you can't not think any differently. You have to think in the one way they want you to think. 
of course, from the thinking, then everything else applied. Uh, for China, the number one thing is they close all schools and all libraries. And the books, we had a lot of books. Books became crime um, uh, evidence. So we sold our books as uh, uh, used paper by the weight. Uh, we didn't throw them away because we had uh, all university, uh, all school closed, so my mom has no more salary. So we have to sell books. We sell everything we can sell to get by, to buy food. Yeah, uh, our libraries closed. Uh, readings are limited to certain books. I, I remember when I was... Uh, in the age that I was hungry for books or reading, I remember they pop, the whole China published one or two books a year. They just reprint Mao's book. We, we, that's all we get to read and memorize. We're forced to memorize. And the music, all band music, and Mao's wife was a movie uh, actress. So she came up with uh, eight productions of uh, one ballet, a couple of uh, uh, Peking opera, and something, eight uh, pieces. So for 10 years, those only eight pieces were allowed to perform as entertainment. And we all learned how to sing that. And the ballet was just uh, troops uh, using guns and dancing uh, with guns and uh, things like that. And that's her design, her uh, production, and clothes. She came, she designed one uh, dress. And everybody who can afford and uh, who want to wear a dress have to wear that. Otherwise, just military uniform style and the same color. And, uh, because uh, they believe if you have, you, have desire, freedom to choose your style, and then you're not uh, you're not uh, communist enough because you have to. It's like just like religion. You have to get rid of everything you your mind will want to think for yourself. Thinking for yourself is the biggest no no. I get my sport uh, report card from school always labeled anarchist, thinking for yourself, and um, only care about yourself. Those are really, really bad behavior, and uh, they need to get rid of that. So a lot of people want to prove they're pure to communists. Every morning, they will go confess. Sorry, Mao, Chairman Mao, in front of Mao's portrait. I thought for myself, yesterday, and this and that. I'm so sorry, I will never do that again. Every day, they have a meeting, they call it Fight for Self-Awareness. That's everyday first thing. You go to school, you go to work, you go to a meeting and uh, overcome your self-awareness. And the and the way that all of this is enforced, I mean, the Cultural yes. Revolution was about violence, yes. and and not just um, not just 
violence that you would expect if you did certain things wrong. There would be random ceremonial executions in the street, right? Yes. You don't even know what you did wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and it's all about terror. Exactly. And uh, one person, he has uh, some kind of uh, uh, disability. He couldn't laugh. He couldn't smile, laugh, and become a crime. So they force him smile in front of Mao's portrait. He couldn't do it because he's, he's somehow he's had disability on his facial muscle. So he was tortured. And they label him, you hate Mao, you hate communists. That's why you never smile in front of Mao's portrait. So they tie him up on a chair Tickle his uh, bottom of his uh, feet with a feather and tickle him there and there. He, he just couldn't. He just go <laughs> like this, the most he could do. Yeah. So he was tortured and imprisoned and lost his job, everything. After the Cultural Revolution, one day he was home and watching TV. There's something not very funny, just a comedy show. And he started to laugh. He couldn't stop. He was on the floor and rolling, and his wife was crying. So why did you, you laugh him so late? We suffer for 10 years. Now you can laugh. It's so sad. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that sort of um, need to control. And, and you, you already mentioned uh, President Xi and the, the current communist government in Beijing and their, their hyperbolic, insane reaction to protesters in Hong Kong. Because I think, I think you just gave us the historical context for what's going on. Because the, the idea that, that free-minded people in Hong Kong would show up in the streets to protest overreach by the mainland Chinese government in what is supposed to be an autonomous um, city, Hong Kong. What's going on there? Um, that's the nature of communism. They promised Hong Kong one country, two system, which means like Hong Kong people decide for their own lives and their economy and everything. But the nature of communism is never let other people have their uh, freedom of choice, of control of their own lives. That's not the characteristic of communism. So they, they said that, but they, won't, they, will not do, uh, they cannot do that. So they, they want the control. They told Hong Kong people, you can freely elect your governor, but I give you the candidates. I give you five or 10 candidates, you, you can only elect from these candidates. That's not freedom of choice. And uh, Hong Kong pe uh, economy, they penetrate into all the sectors with the Chinese government uh, state-owned um, uh, bank and money. And uh, they 
they make a lot of regulations according to their um, value. And um, they control the land, they control the housing. Uh, it's just every aspect. But the Hong Kong people had the tradition of free uh, economic freedom and political freedom, and the people or their education system was not the communist. So they, they were educated with a free mind. You think about it, uh, most people in Hong Kong would check almost every box in the blacklist. Yes, um, almost they're, everybody. They're guilty of all of those sins. They're educated, exactly. they're free, they're prosperous. And that, that, is, that is a direct threat exactly. to control in Beijing. And uh, first, the communists thought, if we uh, still maintain the life uh, uh, standard for the Hong Kong people, they just love money, they love good food. If we don't touch that area, Hong Kong people will be fine. No, people, it's not just for their stomach. They live for more than that. And so they underestimated people with the ability to think and educated under that. So the Hong Kong people saw what's going on. They said, no, we don't want to be part of China in that sense. In nationality, I can say I'm Chinese, but I don't want to say uh, a communist government is China. That's Hong Kong people's perception. I'm Chinese, but uh, communist government is not China. So, but then they realize they cannot separate that. Yeah. They will be governed by the communists. They thought they wouldn't, they didn't have to. And... Uh, well, they were promised. Yeah, they promised. Yeah. They, they trust. I never trust communists. Give you one example. My um, grandfather passed away, and he said, don't bury me. Just uh, wait. The grandma passed away, uh, put our ashes together, and scattered into the sea. And then, but my grandmother lived very long life. So the, the, my grandfather's ash was at home for too long. My cousin was superstitious, thought, you know, that caused uh, my child get sick, this and that. So she want to uh, buy a plot, a cemetery plot, to bury my grandfather's ash. And he, she asked me, because I'm the firstborn grandchild, I said, no. She said, why? I said, I don't trust the communist government, because you thought your ancestors buried here. Tomorrow, if they want something uh, else to use that piece of land, or for some reason, they would dig out your your ash or your bones and throw it away because that's what happened to us uh, during the Cultural Revolution. A lot of bones got dug out. Even the dead people, they marched on the street, not just light, living enemies or black people. They marched on the street with the dead people's bones. And uh, my grandmother, one of my grandmother passed away, and we knew, because we're so black, we knew the Red Guard is going to dig out her body, her coffin. 
she, she was not cremated. So we rushed it before the right guard found her grave because she was buried to the very edge of the, the cemetery. And they went to search, they couldn't find. So we went there, we got it out, we, we bribed the cremation uh, place to burn her. And uh, they said, we, we have life, uh, you know, freshly dead people, we don't even have enough uh, uh, capacity to burn. We call, you're dead. So, but my aunt had some connections and some money and paid them. So we, we burned my grandma's uh, corpse. And so we preserved ashes somewhere only us know. The communists will do that yeah. to even dead people. So how can I trust them? When I heard them say one country, two system, I said, no way. When they say, oh, this cemetery is beautiful, it's promised, you're always yours, I said, no way. If you buy a home, you think that's your home forever. No, never guaranteed. So I've seen all their behaviors. None of their promise they will keep, unless it's for their own benefit. So people have seen, um, you know, this, this, these protests have been happening for years now as, as the, the Chinese government has stripped uh, essentially democratic rights, um, the right to vote for, for the people that you want and the right to, to, to speak, mm-hmm. um, the right to gather in the streets. Um, I'm thinking of basic constitutional rights that we mm-hmm. have in this country. And the, 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 the government has gotten more violent and more people in Hong Kong have shown up on the streets. And one of the things they've done is, is they've brought American flags to these protests. And, and the people in Hong Kong essentially are celebrating American values while mainland China is trying to, to suppress all of those instincts. But it's hard to do because the people in Hong Kong have been free. Yes. Actually, only one promise Chinese government kept until today is the freedom to demonstrate, to have assembly. So Hong Kong people use that. In China, if a church has a 200 congregation, it's already violating the rule. 50 people is maximum. So uh, also, uh, not just for Hong, to Hong Kong people, to all Chinese people, United States of America represent the free, land of free. That's why so many people want to immigrant to United States. Now the, the biggest, uh, easiest, uh, biggest group and easiest way to do is to have their child born in the United States. And it was such a big industry. And uh, when they get born in the United States, they were at least, they said, 20 years later, we have American citizens and can bring our home family to the United States. The Chinese people are so desperate. And uh, so when the Hong Kong people demonstrate, they, of course, they uh, look up to United States to be on their side because that's the, the uh, kind of uh, um, system and the life um, they admire, they want to have. The values. The values, yeah. the principles, the ideas. 
and um, the philosophy, the and uh, the beliefs. Uh, so naturally, um, they will have American flags and they plead to President Trump to help us. And uh, on the other hand, actually, that's another uh, statement they're making because just before that, China uh, was uh, heavily demonized United States in the ideology uh, level. Uh, say no to Western ideas. Say no to Western this, say no to Western that, and uh, say no to Christmas. That's not uh, our uh, holiday. It's a United States American holiday. Um, so an actual war on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. ban Christmas trees yeah. and everything. But when we said, oh, but they don't usually say United States, they say West. Then we, some people ask, wasn't Marx a Westerner? Wasn't communism a Western idea? But no Chinese thought about that. They thought Chi uh, Marxism was Chinese. So the Hong Kong people had the American flag also give a message, say, you ban them, you're anti-United States, we're for it. For the, but not necessarily for the material things, you know. So there's uh, two reasons, I think. Yeah. They have the American flag. So let's, let's um, Hong Kongers are embracing American values, and let's go full circle here. Um, according to this poll that I read earlier, mm -hmm. too many young people are embracing the Communist Manifesto. Instead, you travel the world telling the story, and this, the story gets deeper and darker. I've heard other things that you've told me. What do you say to young people who think that socialism is cool? When you give up your uh, autonomy and uh, power and freedom to to be the owner of your own life, you're give you're giving up life. You said, "Government, provide me this, give me free education, give me free this, provide this and provide that." You're giving up your own power to control or your own life. The more the government's bigger, the smaller you get. And became doesn't exist. You're just an instrument or a toy to the government. They can place you any way they want to. They can play with your life any way they want to. Actually, I just read it. Uh, the Xi Jinping's talk yesterday, they say our whole country is a big ch uh, chess board, chess game. Everybody is a piece of a, a piece on the chess board. He said that. That's he want people to be. He Cog said, "Cogs." Yeah, uh, we are a whole country, so we're one game. And uh, that's what socialist is. And uh, young people, if you think you want government to give you this and give you that, they're not just going to just give it to you. They were going to tell you how to use it, when to use it. If you can use it, you cannot use it. Um, until you realize 
You can't even decide what to eat for dinner. How many times uh, you can sleep with, with your wife? The government decide on that too. It's not a joke. I remember at that time, if the uh, couple doesn't, they don't live in the same city, government gave them two months a year uh, together holiday. Two times a year, each time one month. That's all they can be together. That's how the government take care of you. The young people growing up in the internet age, there's no border. That's only one area. There's no border, no, uh, almost no regulation. Like, no uh, rules. Yeah, no rules. They, they're so used to that. Yeah. One day, just wait until one day the government said, no, you cannot have any access on the internet because it's uh, damage your brain. Not good for you. And not all the information on the internet is not healthy for you. Totally banned. I don't think anybody still think socialist is cool. Let's let's hope. Let's hope. But it's it will happen if they ask government to take care of them. That will have come definitely. China is is that way now. Thank you, thank you for telling that story. And let's hope that we reached a lot of people that, that are headed in the wrong direction. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.